Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills. As we continue in our series, Jesus, Life-Changing Conversations, we'll be hearing from Pastor T about Jesus' conversation with his disciples in Luke 10. We hope and pray that this message challenges and encourages you today. Now let's hear from Pastor T. Conversation with Jesus can do more than just change your day. Conversation with Jesus can change your life. Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. My name is T. Lusk, and I serve as the Columbia campus pastor. You're like, wait, we have a Columbia campus? Yes, it's coming fall of 2021. So just a couple of months from now, we'll be launching in Columbia. It's been an exciting journey so far, and God is just moving every week. There just seems to be more that's happening. And so uh, we'll talk more about that in just a minute, but we'd love for you to join us and be a part of that, uh, that campus plant uh, in, the, in the fall uh, and to be a part of the journey even as we approach that in the next several weeks. We are in the in second week of our Easter series called Conversations with Jesus, where we're looking through the Gospels at different conversations that Jesus had with different individuals and today with a group of people and how that conversation that he had with those individuals or group of people transformed their lives. And how conversations that he has with them are also conversations that he wants to have with us that will transform our lives. And so the, this week we're gonna, we're gonna turn to the book of Luke chapter 10 and work through a passage there. You know, we're in conversations all day long. Some of you are in the midst of a conversation via text right now and the little word bubbles are popping up and you're just anxious to see what that person responds and, and I, I'm just gonna invite you to put the phone down for a minute and uh, maybe not listen to what they respond. They'll, you can get back to them later. But we're in conversations all the time. Some of you had conversations on the way to church this morning. And if you're anything like me, somehow conversations on the way to church always seem to get a little bit elevated, right? I think that that's the enemy attacking, right? But it's, it's that elevated conversation about where you're gonna go eat lunch, which we always end up at the same place. I don't know why we even argue. There's conversations that happen like that. We're, we're in the middle of conversations every day and some of you have had conversations this week that have left you hurting, that have left you sad, left you with more questions than you started with. Countless conversations all day long, every day. Some of you with little kids just want to, mainly you moms with little kids, just long for a conversation with another adult, right? Conversations day in and day out. And I would say that for all of us, there's a handful of conversations that, that probably mark our lives that we can look back on and say, that conversation meant something. That conversation transformed something. And for me, as I looked back across the, the scope of my life, there's one that sticks out that just brings a lot of joy. When I think about it, it was a conversation with uh, the, the lady that is now my wife. And if you've never met my wife, she is far out of my league, and those of you who know me and know her, you know that she is way, way out of my league. But the first time that I met her, I was working at a camp called uh, Jonathan Creek, or Crossings at Jonathan Creek. It's where we've brought our kids uh, for a number of years and uh, for a kids' ministry camp, and uh, I was a counselor there for a summer, and uh, my wife, Rebecca, came in as a chaperone. Let's make sure we all hear that part of it. She came in as a chaperone with the church from, uh, from Arkansas, and at the, at the moment that I saw her, I was like, that's going to be the lady that I marry. She had no idea I existed, but I had to do everything that I could in that week's time to figure that out, and I did. I, I mean, suspense over, we got married, right? 
But I remember that one, that last night, the very last night that she was there and, and the next morning her and her group were gonna, were gonna leave and I'm just totally abandoned the kids that I'm counseling. I mean, I shouldn't have gotten paid that week at all. All I'm doing is trying to hang out with this girl. But that last night we sat outside the chapel on the curb and I took a stick and this is, I'm telling you, this is where the Nicholas Sparks romantics just, I mean, it blows up right here. Took a stick and I drew in the dirt the outline of Arkansas and then the outline of Louisiana, which is where I'm from. And I put a little dot from where she's from and a dot from where I'm from and I said these words. You're gonna understand how I got her. I said, that's 10 hours apart. You wanna give this a shot? She said yes. And in that moment, my life joyfully changed forever. Hers just changed, but my life joyfully changed forever. And as we look at this passage in Luke, it's not a conversation of somebody asking a girl to, to go out with her on a date, but there's a, there's a significant joy that happens, a joyful conversation that we see in the book of Luke chapter 10 that Jesus has with the disciples, that he says that, that as he's talking about living sent or sending the disciples, if you're new to the Bible and, and, and this is the first time maybe you've opened that or, or you're, you're just really new to, to just figuring out what's going on in this life with Christ, that Luke is a, is a book of the Bible that is in the very first part of the New Testament. It's a, it's a collection of books that is the Gospels. And the Gospels tell us the story of who Jesus is. Where he, how he was born and his life and his death and his resurrection. It, it tells us about these conversations that Jesus has, these intimate moments that Jesus has with these individuals. And it's in that conversation that we wanna jump into. And if you have your worship guide, just before we jump into this passage, and we're gonna read through the first uh, 20 verses or so, I wanna give you a couple phrases that I believe kind of frame where we're going. You, you can fill these out. That this, the first one is this, that saying yes to Jesus Saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to living sent. Saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to living sent. We'll talk more about it in a second. I'm just gonna give you the phrases. The second one is this. As followers of Jesus, we look most like Christ when we live sent. As followers of Jesus, we look most like Christ when we live Sent, we'll talk about it in a second. And the third is this, that the sent lives are joyful lives. These are phrases that I believe frame, and we'll see, you'll see them kind of poke their head out in, in different spots as we, as we work through the passage and, and, and these 10 characteristics that we're gonna pull from it. So if you're able, I'll just invite you just to read along here with me, not out loud, but just read along as, we, as I work through this. In verse one, it says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going. I'm not gonna stop at every verse, but I think it's important right here to pause because he says after this, Luke writes after this. And so what do we mean after this? Well, if you, obviously it's after what happened in the previous chapter, right? And there weren't originally chapters and margins in this when, when Luke wrote this, but after what happened in the previous, what he wrote, and specifically what he's writing, because there's a lot that happens in that chapter, specifically what he's writing is an event that happens or a moment that happens in chapter nine, verse 51, where it says that Jesus, as his time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, it says that he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In some translations, it says he set his face like flint or like stone towards Jerusalem. Jesus realizes in this moment, in chapter 9, verse 51, that this is, this is the transitional moment in his ministry. 
He's been teaching up to this point, but now he's headed to the cross where he'll lay down his life as a sacrifice that's sufficient for our sins and our rebellion. And he's moving that direction. Everything is going that way at this point. And that is where he speaks into this. It's significant for us that in that moment, after that moment in in his ministry, the very next thing he does is send out the 72. So we'll jump back in verse two. It says, he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace on this house. And if anyone, if someone who promotes peace is there, Your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. When you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into the street and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. And be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then Jesus has this moment where he, just this tender moment of, of pain where he, he cries out. He says, woe to you, Corzon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at judgment than for you. You, Capernaum, will you be lifted? Will you be lifted from the hev- to the heavens? No, you will go down into Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. And then obviously they go, and then they come back. In verse 17, it says the 72 return with joy and said, speaking to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. In verse 18, Jesus replies, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word and that we have the opportunity to open it. And Father, we understand that as we open it, God, we we desire our hearts to be open before it. We desire to come before it, not as, not as the authority over your word, but as your word over us, as authority over our lives. We pray that we would learn from it this morning, from this conversation that you have with the disciples, with these individuals that you send out before you, as you set your face like stone, resolutely towards Jerusalem, where you would sacrifice, where you would lay down your life for our sins. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray, amen. 
So what I wanna do for the rest of our time together and you see in your worship guide is I wanna pull from this passage 10 characteristics of what it looks like to live sent. Now, some of you know me and you're like, 10 T, we cannot get out of here if you do 10, right? We're gonna be here tonight. Like, I trust, trust me, we will get out of here. We're not going to be late, I promise. And some of you again are like, you can't promise that T because you go long, but I'm not, I promise. Calm down, all of you that are saying that. So we're gonna go through these 10. And the first one is this, and we look at these 10 that we pull from this passage. The first one that I see that we see in this passage is that those disciples, the individuals, followers of Christ who live sent, they're characterized because they prioritize prayer. A characteristic of someone that is living sent is that they prioritize prayer. We've been talking a lot about prayer over the past several weeks. Pastor Jeff has talked a lot in, in the sermons that, that, that he's preached in the past several weeks. And here again, Jesus is solidifying this priority and the power and the place of prayer in the life of the believer. That if you're living sent, if you're one who's going to live sent, a characteristic of your life is that you prioritize prayer. A.J. Gordon says this, that you can do more than pray after you have prayed, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. There's a priority for us as followers of Christ, as those living sent, that we prioritize prayer, that we put prayer in its proper place. And it's a priority because it's in prayer that we submit to God's authority, to God's, his, his rule and his, his leadership and lordship over our lives. And we recognize our need for him. It's when we pray that we realize that he's God and we're not, and we are in need of him. And, and when we pray, what we do is that we become ready or in, in our prayers, we begin to position our hearts to be used by God and to be sent by God. And that's what happens in this passage. That as we, as, the, as we pray, as we submit to God in prayer, that what happens is that as we're asking God to send out laborers into the harvest, it might be in that prayer that God is going to send us as the laborers into the harvest. And that's what we see in the passage because verse three and the next characteristic of someone that's living sin is that they're always going. Person who's living sin is characterized by their always going. Because we see that Jesus, we talked about it just a second ago, that's those, one of those framing passages or framing ideas that saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to being sent. And I love the way this passage, the way this works out, that Jesus tells them to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out workers. And the very next thing, verse three, it says, go, exclamation point. Some passages it says, now be on your way, or now go. Like the next thing you've prayed, you've asked God to send out, send out workers into the harvest, and now you're being sent as those workers, and those workers who are always going. What's incredible about this passage, and what I think a lot of us do with right this point is we, we check out. We're like, prayer, got it, T, everybody can pray. But this whole sent thing, that's for disciples. I mean, that's for like, pastors and missionaries and whatnot, right? What, what's cool is if you go back to, verse, to chapter nine, verse one, Jesus sends out the 12 there. Here he's sending out 72. We don't know who they are. We don't get their names. 
All we know is that they're followers of Jesus, people who have faithfully followed Jesus, that have been listening to his teaching, that have, that have heard what Christ has said. They've been there for these moments when Jesus has done incredible things, and now he's sending those 72. They're not the 12 disciples, those 72 out to go before him. That's us. That's me and you. Even if you don't hold the title of pastor, you're a part of the 72. That's the whole church that he's sending out. Those who faithfully follow him are sent. That if you are a believer, you've trusted Christ for salvation, then you are those who are being sent. And, and, and a lot of times what we, like, we look for, what, we, what that, real, what that mat means for us is that if we are a part of that 72, we're a part of that group that are, that are all being sent, is that, that the sent life is the normal Christian life. That we're always going, it's characterized by always going because the sent life is the normal Christian life. This is the way we live. And if you go to the Great Commission, this is where we get the understanding of always going. If you go to the Great Commission, Jesus says, he says, therefore go, and the translation of that go is as you go, as you're on your way, do these things. Preach the gospel and baptize and teach. And so for us, as those who are called, those who are sent, it is we're on our way, we're going wherever we go. What this means for us is that we don't have to wait to be sent. We don't have to wait until we can sign up to go on a mission trip nationally or, or, or internationally. We have a mission trip that we're on every day because where God has placed you is where he sent you. And he says to be going as you go. You can hold on to this, that where he has you, where you are, is where he has sent you. What that means for you and I is that our neighborhood, our apartments, our dorm rooms, is where God has sent us. One day we'll get to sign up for mission trips. One day we'll get to do those things again. But right now, your neighborhood, your dorm room, your apartment complex, that's where God sent you. This afternoon, when you do go to lunch at the same place that you were gonna go, even though you had an argument about it this morning on the way to church, that's where God sent you. God sent you to that place. You're not at Mojo's, you're not at, at Garcia's or Pueblo, should branch out a little bit. You're not at those places on accident. God sent you there because that's where you are. Your kid's baseball team and, or, or soccer team or dance team, whatever, those are the places that God sent you. Your gym, your home, parents, for some of you, the place that God has sent you is your home because your children have not yet put their faith in Jesus and he sent you to, as you go, to always be going into your home, declaring and picturing the peace of Jesus to your children. For some of you, high school and middle school and, and college students, your place is your home because your parents haven't trusted Christ for salvation yet. For some of you who are married, it's your spouse, who though you're here today and have a relationship with Jesus, they have not yet. And so you don't have to wait to sign up to go to Brazil, which I do hope you do next, whenever that opens. Today you can go home because that's where God sent you. We're always going because we've been sent wherever we are. The third characteristic is this, that they recognize the danger of isolation. 
Those who are being sent recognize the danger of isolation. Before Jesus even declares where they're going, before he he even tells them to pray, what does he do? He divides them up, these 72 into partners, and then sends them out. Jesus could get a lot more done. Efficiency wasn't what Jesus was looking for. He could have sent them to 72 different places. He knew that the most important thing, that it was important for them not to be isolated and be alone because that was dangerous. That's why we spend so much time talking about and encouraging you and inviting you and all of us to be a part of community groups because it's in those places that we struggle and walk together. We weren't meant to do this alone. And as those that are being sent, we recognize the dangers of isolation, the dangers of being found by ourselves. And characteristic number four is that we're not surprised or derailed by opposition. We're not surprised or derailed by opposition. We are lambs being sent into the slaughter, sent into wolves. Lambs among wolves. The very nature of our calling, the very nature of this commission to live sent is that we will face opposition and struggle because we are lambs among wolves. Jesus himself, sent by the Father, faced opposition. Why would we assume that we would not? Peter, who would have heard this very call as one of Jesus' disciples, says this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something were strange, something strange were happening to you. He said, don't get confused. You are living in a sinful and a broken world and a part of the sent life, a part of living sent, living out this commission that God has called you to wherever you are as you go is that you're going to face opposition because you're a lamb among wolves. Fifth characteristic is that we identify and avoid distractions. That those who are living the sent life identify and avoid distractions. If you go back to the passage, one of the, I guess a a more positive way to put this is that they remain single-minded in their focus. What Jesus says in verse four, he says, don't take your purse, take a purse or a bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. What Jesus says here is he kind of draws out some of those normal things that all of us, just like these 72 would have experienced. Hey, don't worry about food. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about how you're gonna get there. Trust me. There's so many distractions that come especially in short-term missions. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with individuals who are just like, hey, I, I, I'm not ready yet to go on a short-term mission trip to Brazil or Moldova or, or one of the national places that we go. I'm just not ready yet. Of course you're not ready yet because you're not on your way. You know when you're gonna be ready is when you, go, when you start going. I can remember when I was, when Rebecca and I had just gotten married, we were about a, almost a year in and we began to have conversations about having a child and, and what that would look like. And I, I just, I was so terrified. I was talking to a buddy of mine. I was like, man, I'm just terrified. I don't think we're ready financially at this house and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, man, you're never going to be ready. You know, when you're going to be ready is when you find out that she's pregnant. If we wait until we're ready, we'll never go. And we don't let these distractions and, and all the little things, the money and the clothes and the food and the housing and how it's going to work and, and uh, w- w- all those, we don't let that get in the way. We go. 
We stay single-minded in our focus. Jesus is telling them, don't let these things get in the way of the thing that I have commissioned and called you to. I'm gonna take an aside and I'll just give this one quick plug. For some of you, for some of you this morning, that commission beyond the places that God sent you in your normal, regular life is that God's calling you to step out and join the Columbia team as we launch this Columbia campus. And already you're like, no, 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 comfort. I'm like, yeah, 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 Jesus. I'm not saying the rest of your life, six, three, six, nine, 12 months, or the rest of your life, I'm fine with that too. Don't let distractions, don't let the things, the questions of how this is gonna work get in the way of what Jesus has commissioned and called you to, the things that God has called you to do. Characteristic number six, we gotta push. They're people of peace. Verse five, it says you enter the house and say, peace on this house. If someone in that house is a person of peace, then it'll rest on them. If not, it'll come back to you. It says the same thing about the city. When you go in, speak peace over it. I can't tell you how many people, and you know them too, have been pushed off, have been, have been turned off from a relationship with Jesus because the person that they know as a, as a Christian has been abrasive and aggressive and rude and mean. But that's not the way Jesus commissioned us to go. He said, I want you to go in peace, being a person of peace, being humble. You are a lamb. We, as the sent ones, are lambs among wolves. Lambs are not aggressive. We're not the SWAT team kicking down the door and being like, we're bringing in the peace of Jesus. That was weird, sorry. I don't know where that came from. No, we're lambs with tenderness gentleness, we bring the gospel message, the peace that comes in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't kick down the door. He came in as a child. And the angels celebrated. We're people of peace, bringing the peace of Jesus to the places that he sent us. Practically, what does that look like? It, mean, it looks like this. It looks like meeting your neighbors. Maybe when somebody new moves in your neighborhood, you bring them a gift and just get to know them. Blessing them as a person of peace. It means maybe that you, that you learn your neighbor's names and their kids' names. T, I can't even remember my own kids' names. I get it. But maybe your neighbor's names you can remember. Maybe it's Stepping in and engaging in a conversation, pressing beyond just the weather and the game that was on TV last night, but really digging into life and what's happening there so that you can begin speaking the peace of Jesus. It's blessing those that are around you. I can tell you, as we begin to walk into Columbia, as we begin to look forward to the launch of Columbia in, in the fall, we're already stepping in saying, how can we bless? How can we be people of peace that bless this community before we're there? One of our goals, one of our mission statements, statements of, of just purpose as we go forward is we wanna have a presence in Columbia before we're present in Columbia, meaning we want people to look around and say, who are these people who bless our city, who love our city, who want the best for our city? 
Why? Not because we just want to win some, some friends and influence people. No, because we want them to want what we bring in that peace because that peace doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. Being people of peace in places that he sent us, seven, intentional about investing deeply. He says, stay there, eat what, you, eat what they give you and drink what they give you and don't move around from house to house. This is gonna hurt. But in this context, the disciples walk into these towns and people open up their doors and they stay there. Listen, if I'm there, I want to move to the next house so I don't bother these people or, or spend too much time and they realize that it's something about me that I don't want them to know, right? I wanna move to the next place. Because it's gonna get uncomfortable to sit at the table every night with these same people that I don't really know that have invited me into their house. And he says, stay there. And again, this is gonna hurt, but this is, this is where the rubber meets the road for us. And what that looks like for us today, it may look like picking the same barber and going to that person time after time. I don't know what that experience is like. Bless you if you have hair. But why? So that you sit in that chair with that same barber and you, or that hairstylist, whatever the ladies go to, and you get to have conversations, intentional investment over time, where you speak peace into their lives. Maybe it looks like this is gonna hurt, going to the same restaurant, finding the same servers. Last night I had dinner, Rebecca and I had, a dinner, had dinner with some of our friends and uh, we ate at, at a Mexican restaurant in, in, in Franklin and, at one point, the, the manager of the restaurant came out and immediately saw our friends that were sitting across the table from us and lit up. I mean, you could see it behind the mask. He took the mask off and was so excited to see our friends because they knew him. They, had, they know his story. They had been there time and time again. They knew and they had invested in this place, maybe because they liked the food there, but ultimately because they wanted to be able to invest and say, these are the people that we're going that we're gonna invest in and speak the peace of Jesus into their lives. Maybe it looks like avoiding the self-checkout. Oh, this hurts. Avoiding the self-checkout and waiting in line to see the same cashier over and over again. Really saying no to convenience to say yes to missions. Saying no to convenience to say yes to missions the eighth characteristic, we gotta move on. It says this, that they meet needs and share the gospel. They meet needs and share the gospel. It says, heal the sick and, the king, and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And Jesus gives them this twofold outline that you're gonna do good and then you're gonna preach the gospel. You're gonna do good and you're gonna preach the gospel. You're gonna meet the needs of the people that are there and then you're gonna tell them that the gospel is ultimately what they want, what they need. That temporary fixes like this, but Jesus is the, is the fix. Jesus is what gives us wholeness and peace and joy everlasting. That you're gonna meet needs and you're gonna proclaim the gospel. Characteristic number nine is that they leave the heart transformation to Christ. Verse 16 says, whoever listens to you listens to me, but whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. What we can know is that it's not our place as those who are sent to transform hearts. That's the work of Jesus. It's our place to be faithful to the call and the commission that he's laid on our lives. 
It may drive us to our knees and, and, and give us and break our hearts when somebody rejects Jesus, but it ultimately always rests in his hand to transform hearts. It rests in us to be those who are always going and living the sent life. Number, number 10, the characteristic there is that they celebrate what God has done in them more than what God does through them or does through you. The 72 return excited. They get back and they are jacked. They got to see so many cool things. And I, I, I've, been, I've been in this moment, I, I, I've assumed that some of you have been in a, a similar place where, where you've gone on a trip like this, where you've gone out and you've seen God do incredible things. As a senior in high school, or gra- just after graduation from, from my high school, I, I went on a trip to Washington DC and we saw God do incredible things. And we came back from that trip and me and my buddies that were there on that trip, I'm telling you, we were ready to storm hell with water pistols. It was so cool what God had done. I was even ready to take on the deacons at the church. I'm like, slow down, T. But in, in that moment, what Christ tells these disciples, in that moment of joy or, or, or their excitement, what Jesus tells them is of the utmost importance, importance for us because what he says is that he saw, when they come back and they say, we saw these things happen Demons were submitted to us when we, when we spoke in your name. He says, he replies and says, Satan fell, from, I saw Satan fall from heaven and I've given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and overcome the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is not trying to be a wet blanket. He's not trying to put out the fire. What he's doing is warning them against spiritual pride and making sure that they actually have the relationship with him that they're proclaiming to others. This is where Matthew, where Matthew writes in in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about what Jesus says really crystallizes for us. Because what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is this, that that on the day of, of judgment that Not everyone who calls to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? And Jesus will say to them on that day, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Listen, if Jesus in that moment after these disciples come back with excitement can say, hey, listen, search your heart and make sure you're excited about the right thing. Not the spiritual pride of the things that you've done, not the, not the, the, ex, the things that have happened that you are setting your hope on those things. Set your hope on this, that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If Jesus can say that and say, search your hearts, then I think that it's fitting for us to do the same this morning. I think it's fitting for us to have that same response today. And this is my story. I grew up very much involved in church. By the time I'd come back from Washington, D.C., on that trip, I had trusted Christ, but it wasn't until just before that. But for years, I had led small groups, led organizations in my school, Christian organizations. I'd led people to Christ. I'd preached to my youth group, 
but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I put all my stock in my stuff, but that stuff did not, did not cut it for me. That stuff was not a relationship with Jesus. And I was going to have the same outcome as those on that day who said, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this? Until Jesus opened my eyes and made it clear that I needed a relationship with him. So maybe that's where you are today too. What's incredible is the band comes, we're gonna collect, our, we're gonna, band and ushers are gonna come, we're gonna collect the offering and continue to work, worship in that way. But what's incredible in this passage is that as they come back and Jesus gives them this warning and makes sure that they search their hearts, on the other side of that, it says that he's joyful. That Jesus in the spirit is joyful. He's excited. Because the sent life is a joyful life. And Jesus is excited because those that he sent having their eyes open to the reality of what they're proclaiming, their lives are being transformed. Jesus is excited because the message of the gospel has gone out and they are living sent lives. Jesus is excited because they are doing what he's called them to do. And I don't know about you, but people that I love and respect and, and, and enjoy being around, when they are excited, when they're joyful at something that I do, I wanna repeat that thing. So maybe this morning for us, that's the compulsion, it's that, that's the thing, Jesus' smile in that moment, his joy at the disciples returning and them living that sent life, maybe that joy in Jesus' eyes will compel us to live the life that he's called us to live as well. Let's pray and I'm invite the ushers to come. Jesus, we thank you for this morning and for your word. We thank you that, God, you speak. God, you move in incredible ways and that, God, that you've sent us as lambs among wolves to proclaim the peace of the gospel, to meet needs and to proclaim the good news. And I pray that this morning, even as we are in this time of prayer, that God, that you would search our hearts, that we would be open to having you search our hearts and maybe expose places where, where we have let fear or distractions keep us from the thing that you've called us to. Maybe it's this morning that you are calling us to a relationship with you. Father, I pray that this morning you would also just give us the clarity that comes in reality that your the sent life, the life of being sent by you is a joyful life. in Christ's name that we pray. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you connect. We're really thankful that you're here.